This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Now we have time of uh, scripture reading. I'll give you some time uh, to take out your Bible, your physical Bible or your e-Bible. Today's passage is going to be taken from uh, Jonah chapter 1. We'll continue with Jonah chapter, uh, Jonah, uh, with chapter 1 verse 17 to chapter 2 verse 10. Okay, so if you don't, uh, don't have uh, your physical Bible or e-Bible, you can also refer to the screen in front. Jonah chapter 1 verse 17. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord. And he answered me, From deep in the realm of dead, I called for help. And you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas. And the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say, Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. This is the word of God. I'll now pass the time over to Pastor Andrew, who will explain uh, today's passage to us. Hey, good morning, everyone. Great to see all of you here. You need uh, Jonah chapter 2 in front of you, uh, because we'll be going through it, and I won't be really fleshing it up. So let's go to God in prayer now. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we truly want to indeed know in the deep depths of our heart that salvation comes from you. We pray that as we study your word, you be speaking clearly to our minds, but also to our hearts and our wills. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> I once nearly got hit by a car. I was standing on the road divider, and I stepped out, and then this car shot right in front of me. And I nearly had a near-death experience. Have you ever had an experience like that where you nearly died? I sometimes think of myself, if I had stepped out a little bit earlier, or the car had been moving a little bit slower, then I would have ended up lying on the road. And uh, things that seemed really important to me just a few moments before, like uh, dreams, thoughts, plans, possessions, money, they'll all be irrelevant. And for the next, like, I don't know how many seconds or minutes, the big question would be, would I go to heaven? Uh, would I be saved? And why, right? What reasons would I have for this confidence of being saved? Now, the reality for all of us, including some of you very young people, is that we will all 
have to struggle with that because we all die, right? We may not be lying on the road after being hit by a car. We could be lying in a hospital bed, gasping for breath. Maybe we're lying on the floor after having a heart attack. Or maybe we're just lying in bed, dying of old age. But all of us have to face that big question sooner or later. Now we're going to be looking at uh, this passage and this question as we see chapter 1 verse 17 to chapter 2 verse 10. Verse 17 says, Now the Lord, the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now this word now is a, a word, a conjunction, which is a record of time, right? A record of chronology, part of a timeline. And so the now links us back to what we've seen in chapter 1. And so what have we seen in chapter 1? So in chapter 1, God had commanded Jonah to bring God's word to Nineveh. But Jonah had rebelled instead and ran away in the opposite direction. His rebellion was so great that he preferred to drown rather than obey God and the sailors had thrown him into the sea. And so now, right now, what happens in this section? Now Lord, the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. Now Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Chapter 2 verse 1. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. Now this is very significant and a bit of a shock in the flow of the narrative, right? As we've been following the flow of narrative, this is surprising. Because in chapter 1, Jonah never prayed. We never saw Jonah praying at all, right? It's just in chapter 1 verse 4 to 5, you remember the pagans, the pagan sailors were praying. But Jonah was not praying. In fact, in chapter 1, verse 5 and 6, the pagan captain actually rebuked Jonah for not praying. He said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. But we never see Jonah praying in response. So what has happened here? Why this significant change to Jonah? Why does it say Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, at this moment? Then in verse 2 it says, He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord and He answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. Now what is happening here? So I remember trying to explain what's happening here to uh, my group in the How to Read the Bible session and then after a long, long explanation, someone in my group, a younger person, said to me, uh, what you're saying is, you're talking about Flashback, like Andrew. It's flashback. You're talking about flashback. I'm like, oh, okay, flashback. Tony, I went to read out on flashback. You know in the movie, when you watch movies, because we're all movie-watching generations, right? Flashback is where, you know, the character looks backwards in time to, as part of the narrative story, right? It's like someone is like dreaming or thinking or some sort in the plot, and it's, it presents something which happened before to explain what is happening now, right? That's a flashback. And so in a sense, that's what, that's what we see here. Jonah is having a flashback. But the flashback, in a sense, comes to us in the prayer, because in his prayer, Jonah is recounting what had happened in the past. And so what is this incident that he's thinking about? The flashback here is actually looking from the interval between Jonah being thrown into the sea and Jonah being swallowed by the big fish 
and staying in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And that's what's happening here, a flashback. The flashback is presented in a psalm or poetry or a song. And so what happened that caused Jonah to change his attitude towards God? He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the deep in the realm of the dead, I call for help and you listen to my cry. Immediately we can see it's got poetic elements, right? There's this idea of repetition, right? Where he, in my distress, is parallel to from deep in the realm of the dead. I called for, to the Lord, I called for help. He answered me, you listen to my cry. So what happens? Okay, so if you look here in the rest of the poem, Jonah kind of comes back to this idea of him being in distress. So in verse 3, it says, You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas. The currents swirled around me, and all your waves and breakers swept over me. Now, these are very strong, poetic, and vivid images of how he was in the sea. I remember for my wedding honeymoon, uh, my wife and I, Cheryl, we went to go to the Great Barrier Reef in Australia. And so we signed up to go on a snorkeling uh, trip to some reef somewhere. Little did we know that we would be taken on this boat for like quite a long way out and then transferred to a small dinghy and then left out on this reef where I think between us and the next piece of land was like America or something, right? So you look to the left and all 360 around you, all you see is her, on the horizon is ocean. No, there's, there's nothing there at all. It was quite terrifying actually to me. And that's exactly what Jonah is saying. At the very heart of the sea, all around him is ocean. And in this ocean, the currents are pooling and swirling at him and the waves and breakers are sweeping over him. Again, I remember another holiday, I was at the Gold Coast in Australia. And you know, the ocean in Australia is actually really rough. And so I went out there, you know, thinking, okay, I'll just go out for a little bit. And then all these waves started breaking over me and seawater was coming up my nose and my mouth and I, I really thought I was going to drown, right? And that's how Jonah was feeling like he's in the middle of the ocean, in the very heart of the sea. Seawater is breaking over him. He's drowning. In verse 5, the picture continues about his distress, right? The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. And so the distressing situation becomes terrifying. The waters are engulfing him. The word engulf here literally means he's swallowed up by the sea. The, the, the sea is submerging him. He's going deeper and deeper into the depths. In fact, he's going so far down into the depths, the passage says seaweed was wrapped around my head. Now for us in Singapore, if you don't go to the ocean very much, seaweed is kind of like attached to the bottom of the ocean, right? Seaweed doesn't float on the top of the sea. And so literally what we have here is a picture of Jonah sinking deeper and deeper into the ocean. But in his distress, it says, he called on God and God answered me. Now this is very, very profound, right? We sometimes can be too familiar with the story of Jonah. But Jonah literally is in an impossible situation. He is at the bottom of the ocean where the seaweed is. He call, he's calling out to God and God answered him by sending a huge fish to swallow Jonah. 
Now, it's, a, it's, it's really remarkable because it's not something which we can replicate, right? It's a truly a miracle, a divine miracle by God. There's no point like saying today, let's go and see if a big whale can swallow us in the bottom of the sea, right? Because the miracle that we read here is akin to God parting the Red Sea and bringing God's people out of Egypt to the Promised Land. You can't replicate that. It's a miracle what happened to Jonah. But on top of that, what's really remarkable here is that God would actually answer Jonah's call for help. Given how high-handed, stubborn and rebellion Jonah was in chapter 1. But we already saw how he turned away and ran away to the opposite direction. He would rather die than to obey God. And here, the moment he calls out to God, God's compassion, love and grace comes to him and God saves him, even at this moment. Now this is what happens here in this flashback. Right? We see God saving Jonah from the stress. But again, remember we were saying that this prayer has got poetic elements, right? It's like a psalm itself. And so, in chapter 2, verse 1, there's a parallel. In my distress, I called to the Lord and He answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. Jonah was not just in distress, he was dead. Deep in the realm of the dead literally is deep in the Sheol, right? Sheol is like this Jewish picture of the place or the abode or the realm of where the dead people are. And so Jonah says that deep in this realm of the dead, he was dead or daily dead or very close to dead. He called for help and God listened to my cry. This idea is repeated in verse 6 and 7, right? To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. So here was deep in the realm of Sheol. And in verse 6, he says he was sinking down, down to the roots of the mountains, to the bottom of the sea, where in a sense, death was barring him in like a prison cell. He couldn't escape, right? It was like the bars blocking him. He was down the pit, right? The grave itself. But God rescued him and lifted him up again. Now, we must see how significant this is because God didn't just save him from distress, God saved him from death in sending this huge fish to swallow Jonah for three days and three nights. The first thing we have to realize is this is not a parable. This is not an image or, or, or you know, imagery. Jonah literally is historical, real, and authentic, right? God literally sent a huge fish to swallow Jonah for three days and for three nights. And this was a great miracle. We know this to be true because Jesus himself quotes that in his own perspective, in his own eyes, the miracle of Jonah, three days and three nights, was a literal miracle in which Jesus' death and resurrection was also literally and historically authentic. So Matthew chapter 12 then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. 
For Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Again in chapter 11, As the crowds increased, Jesus said, This is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. So just as we know that the death and the resurrection of Jesus three days later was real, so Jesus says, Jonah, three days and three nights in the belly of, of the huge fish was real. And so, Jesus in many ways is trying to also say that what we read here in Jonah chapter 2 is a foreshadowing and a pointing forward to what Jesus did. So again, as we did the how to read the Bible part, uh, um, how to read the Bible uh, sessions on biblical theology, right? The Bible has this progressive revelation which points forward to the future. Where in the Old Testament, there's a shadow or a type or a pattern which points forward to the fulfillment in the New Testament in Jesus. And that's what we see here. Because what we see here is Jonah, three days and three nights in, in the belly of the whale, points forward to Jesus' death, buried in the tomb, and three days later rises on Easter Sunday. But there's more to it than that, right? Because as we understand how biblical theology works, it's not as if Jesus, sorry, Jonah and the whale is equal to Jesus' cross and resurrection. Because Jesus' cross and resurrection is much, much more than Jonah. Because Jonah, three days and three nights, just, is just Jonah, right? And he's only saved from a momentary death because obviously Jonah would live, but he would die at some point in time, isn't it? But what Jesus does is so much greater because Jesus' death on the cross and res- resurrection three days later It's not just related to Jonah, but it applies to humanity. Through what Jesus does three three days and three nights, humanity is saved not just from momentary death, only to die again, but eternal death, saved from hell, sin, and judgment. So what we read here is really important because it points us, right, it points us to a much greater work of salvation, a much greater miracle that God does for us. We can see this in Romans chapter 6, which is what we did for our responsive reading a moment ago. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again, death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died once for all, and the life he lives, he lives to God. So this passage in Jonah chapter 2 that we're reading, it's not just related to Jonah, it points and is relevant to us, right? In the death and resurrection of Jesus, it promises us death, but resurrection for eternal life and victory over sin and judgment. Now the passage continues, and again, because it's poetic, right, because it's like a psalm, one of the themes that seems to be repeated is the idea of this holy temple. So verse 4, 
He says, I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. My prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Now, where was Jonah in relationship to God? He was banished, he said, from your sight. That means that he was cut off from the presence of God. He was cut off from relationship with God. Yet remarkably, he knows of God's love and grace and compassion and knows that when he calls out to God again, his prayer will rise up to God's presence in his holy temple. But more than that, he will once again be restored into relationship back to God. He will look again to this holy temple. He will, in a sense, come back into God's presence. Now, this is really important for us to understand, right? Because we are, in a sense, people of God. We follow God and we call ourselves Christians. And sometimes we mistake why we are Christians. Sometimes people say, oh, you know, I'm a Christian because I'm a good person. Or I go to church. Or I go to Bible study. But being a Christian is not defined by what we do, but it's defined by our relationship with God, right? We are a Christian because we are in relationship with God. We are, in a sense, in the presence of God through Jesus. Now, this is really important because when God saves us, we are saved not so that we can go on and do our own lives, but we are saved in order to have a relationship with God. That's what we learned in the book of Luke, right? When we looked in the book of Luke, the father forgave the son, but that was not enough, right? The father forgave the son to bring him back into relationship with him. So in verse 21, it says, The son said to the father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The father could have easily said, Oh, well, you know, you got what you deserve. It's okay. Yeah, I forgive you and, you know, see you later. But the father doesn't do that. The father, in verse 22, says, But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. See what's happening here? The son is not just forgiven and saved, but he's saved in order to be brought back into the family to be in relationship with the father. That's why the work of Jesus is not just judicial or, in a sense, justifying us. The work of Jesus is also to restore us back into relationship with God. So in the responsive reading we read just a moment ago, oh no, that was before, the earlier responsive reading, but Romans chapter 5, in the chapter just before, notice how Jesus' work on the cross is described. Since we have now been justified by his blood, okay, so that's judicial, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Okay, judicial. For if we were God's enemies, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him relationally, right? Brought into relationship with him. Through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. See, salvation must always lead to reconciliation, restore relationship with God. 
So many years ago, I had a relative who was diagnosed with stage 4 throat cancer. The doctors only gave him a few months to live. And so the church prayed for him. Miraculously, he recovered and was healed. Even the specialist couldn't explain it, right? said, it's a miracle, right? But what was really sad to me was, a few months after he got better, he told me that he really didn't want to be a Christian anymore. That's so sad, isn't it? Because Jonah, when he was saved from death, he was saved for a relationship with God. And the same way when God saves us, right, he saves us for a relationship with him. When Jesus saves us, it's not so that we can be estranged from God, but come back into a relationship with God, back into the presence of God. And so, as we see what Jonah has been praying, in this flashback, right, he prays and thanks God for God saving him from his distress, God saving him from death, and God saving him so that he may come back to God's presence and relationship with him. Now, verse 9 is the key, right? Verse 9 is the most important verse, not even just in this chapter, but the whole book of Jonah. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. So I agree with many commentators who say that this verse basically is the big summary, the big idea of the whole book of Jonah, right? Salvation comes from the Lord. Now, as we look at this passage, we see that Jonah recognizing that God has saved him, responds with two ways, right? He responds two ways. He responds first from the heart, the emotions. As you look at the passage, he says, with shouts of grateful praise, right? Maybe uh, Eugene was right. Maybe Jonah was singing the song, right? Salvation belongs to the Lord. I remember there was this African guy who was an overseas student in Australia. He was really remarkable. They were really musical people. You know, I think as Singaporeans, we're quite, we're quite uh, serious people. Uh. For him, right, whenever he would pray, uh, whenever he starts thanking God, he would start singing, you know. It was really unusual. Like, imagine we have corporate prayer, and uh, whenever you give thanks to God, you hear this person start singing. And he sings quite well too, right? And, but but that, was, that was truly his emotions coming out, giving thanks to God for what God had done for him. And so that's what Jonah does here. With shouts of grateful praise, maybe with singing, he's praising God. So the second part is, he responds with will and doing. He says, I will sacrifice to you what I vowed I will make good. So taken together, I mean, we take this to mean that he, he wants to obey God and wants to serve God, right? And then last of all, he recognizes salvation belongs to the Lord Salvation comes from the Lord. Now, this is really, really important to see the sequence of what is happening here, okay? The sequence. Because Jonah recognizes that the character of God, part of the core of God is salvation, right? It belongs to him, it comes from him. And so when Jonah cries out to the Lord, it's with expectation and fulfillment that God saves. And because God saves, Jonah then gives thanks with a grateful heart, and Jonah serves God. 
Now this is important in so many ways because it shows first and foremost that Jonah does not contribute to his salvation. He does not do work for his salvation. He does not earn merit for his salvation. He doesn't say to God, okay God, if I go to Nineveh and preach, will you save me? If I do this, then you will save me? No, right? He cries out to God, God saves him, and then he is grateful, and then Jonah serves God. So you remember in the introduction, I gave you the illustration that I said all of us one day would have to, in a sense, stand before God, right? In a sense, and we may be asked a question, you know, would I go to heaven? And why should I be allowed to go to heaven? What reason would I give to go to heaven? It's nothing that we do, right? Salvation is not our work. It's all God's work, right? It's 100% God's work from the beginning, the middle, to the end. I can contribute nothing to my salvation. So if I answer the question, oh, I deserve to be saved because I, then that's the wrong answer, right? Because I went to church, because I read the Bible, because I gave money or because I helped someone. That's the wrong answer, right? Because salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation comes from the Lord. All we do is we cry out to God and God saves us and our response to God's salvation then is gratefulness and obedience. We see this as well in the New Testament, right? Oops, we see this as well in the New Testament. So in Titus chapter 2, it says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. You notice the, the, the order and the sequence? For the grace of God that has appeared that offers salvation to all people, that comes first. Grace comes first. Salvation comes first. Salvation to all people comes first. And then after salvation and grace comes obedience and thankfulness and service, right? This grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-control, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Again, in verse 14, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify a people for himself, a people that is very own, eager to do what is good. Again, the order, right? Jesus gives himself first to redeem us and to purify himself, purify for himself a people that are very his own, those then who are eager to do good. Salvation comes and then obedience and service. So it's very interesting. Last week, on Thursday, the other pastors and I went for a talk by this guy called Ray Ortland. He's an American fellow from Nashville, Tennessee. He's got really interesting accent and all sorts of interesting phrases I've never heard before, right? But you're saying that, you know, the church must be a place of joy. Uh, I can't remember, maybe Andrew and Nick could tell me, but he said, you know, it's not, not a place of what, tippity top joy or something, don't know what, like, it's not like just a made up happiness, but real joy, right? Real happiness. Why? Because all the people in church, theoretically, have all been saved by God. We've been saved from eternal death, we've been saved from hell, we've been saved from sin, we've been saved from Judgment, he said, if you've been saved from all these things, how can you not feel joy? Right? There's something wrong if the church is not joyful in being saved from all these things. 
And as a result as well, because we receive grace and salvation, we also need to respond with obedience and service. Right? And so today's passage ends in verse 10. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. Now this is very significant, right? Because verse 10 comes after verse 9. And verse 10 comes after verse 9 because God, in a sense, sends Jonah out into the dry land because now he is recommissioned to go to Nineveh to bring his word there, right? So in chapter 1, the first commission didn't work. Chapter 2, now he's recommissioned to go to Nineveh. He's ready to do God's will. He's grateful in his heart. He is vowed to serve God, to obey God. Now as we look at this passage, for the original readers, the lesson for them as they read Jonah chapter 2 will be as they look at Jonah, they will be in a sense rebuked, right? They'll be, okay, salvation does belong to, the, to God alone and indeed, he is the one to whom all salvation comes from. As they look at Jonah, they'll think, okay, they also need to have this heart of gratefulness and obedience and service to God. And part of that obedience and service and gratefulness should also be reflected on their attitude to their pagan neighbors. Now for us as Christians who live on this side of the cross, we have, in a sense, a different uh, understanding, right? Because we've now seen its fulfillment in the person of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus now says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So here Jesus, in a sense, says all of authority have been given to me, right? And invested in authority, I now tell you to go and make disciples of all nations. Now that means that for us, we are not like the Jews who read Jonah. We are now, in a sense, in a different uh, stage of kingdom history, right? Because now we have received salvation through Jesus Christ, and authority has been invested in Jesus, Jesus commands us now to make disciples of all nations. Now this is really important for us because the expression of our gratefulness, the expression of our obedience and service to God must also be seen in reaching out to people of all nations. Now, last week we looked at this passage in Revelation chapter 9. And it's quite interesting, right? Sorry, Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 to 10. And so it's a vision of heaven, right? John is given a vision of heaven. So after this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. But I want, to, I want you to notice something very significant, right? Which is different from what Jonah says. Salvation belongs to the Lord who sits on the throne. Right? Jonah would agree. But you look at Revelation chapter 9, 7, it also says salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. Right? So within the Trinity, within the Godhead, salvation is also belonging to God the Father, but also through Jesus the Lamb. And as we listen to this Lamb Jesus, He tells us 
that as we are grateful for the salvation that we have got and received through Him, if the work of Jesus seven days, oh, sorry, for three days and three nights on the earth and His resurrection, then we need to also obey Him to bring His word, this salvation to every nation, every tribe, every people, and every language. In conclusion, and so as we come to the end of the sermon, I really think that we need to really understand what, what God has done for us in saving us. It's not because we are good people. It's only because we've cried out to God and God has saved us in Jesus Christ. But we've been saved for a relationship with God and Jesus. And out of thankfulness and obedience and service, we also need to share the good news of salvation with all people. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, truly want to, to ask you to help us to see that salvation belongs to you. Salvation comes from you. We play no part from the beginning, the middle to the end of our salvation. We only can cry out to you. And so, dear Father, we thank you so much for you've saved us out of your grace, your love and compassion, in spite of our rebellion and sin and stubbornness. And dear Father, we thank you so much for Jesus, who died on the cross, was buried, and three days later rose from the dead. We thank you so much for that indeed is something which... In, in a very real way, shows us that uh, your promise of salvation has been completed. We pray for ourselves that we will learn that the response to your salvation must be like Jonah, that we must be grateful in our hearts. Indeed, we must have shouts of praise and thankfulness in our hearts and in our wills desire to want to be obedient and to serve you. And dear Father, part of it must be, as we've seen in Matthew chapter 28 and in Revelation chapter 7, to want to bring this good news of salvation to all people around us, our most immediate relationships, our neighbors, our relatives, to the most distant, to the people of other lands. And we pray for all these things in Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Pastor, uh, for sharing with us God's Word today. Um, we now have a time of uh, reflection and discussion among your group, so around where you are sitting. Um, yeah, so there are few questions. That, there are two questions, basically. The first, questions, uh, the first question is that, am I safe from death to be with God in heaven forever, and why? The second question is, how have I responded to God's salvation? Okay, so these are the two questions. Uh, yeah, so feel free to... Uh, share and uh, discuss. We'll come back in five. Okay, so have a good time of discussion and sharing. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.